0: Shaking Cats and Kittens, I'm Rob Lee from Getting to the Truth in This Art. And this podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Bazaar. Bazaar is a gift shop for those seeking the strange and unusual. Got morbid curiosity? Got an interest in natural history? Bazaar's got you covered. Bazaar specializes in antique medical equipment, jewelry, prints, funerary antiques, and many other morbid gifts. The inventory is ever changing. I'm wearing a great death's head moth pen. And I'm enjoying this hand poured candle called Overgrown Cemetery. It's great. It has the studio smelling awesome. Head on over to 3534 Chestnut Avenue in Baltimore. Send that ham the neighborhood and see what they got to offer at Bazaar. Tell them Rob Lee sent you. We're shaking, cats and kittens? This is Rob Lee from Mastermind Teams Robcast. I am the Rob. In Robcast, the Lines Playboy, the American Wave, the Midnight Snack, Robly, get it straight. For all of you guys out there listening, we do a podcast. Me and my uh, silent partner here. Yep, torn. You know, uh-huh. probably the cool one out of the group, but you know, I, I don't know. Is. I don't know if that's accurate. I have to be. Say say more about this. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just like get yourself over as the cool guy. I'm the cool guy. Look, listen to my voice that's it you're as cool mm. Don't you're, you're Kawhi don't, Leonard you're the Kawhi Leonard of this podcast oh shit I'm a fun guy I'm a cool guy <laughs> <laughs> so listen to us every week we cover weird news pop culture entertainment the cool guy Torn don't call me Tron tron and me rob lee the king snake of the thoughts of doom the man with 101 aliases and we're on every week on mtr podcast and that is mtrnetwork.com that is on apple spotify everywhere podcasts are found those gonna be mtr podcast look for us on youtube and check us out on the instagram account and facebook both at mtr podcast check us out every tuesday new episodes are dropping subscribe today Welcome to Getting to the Truth in It's Art. Uh, I'm your host, Rob Lee, and today's guest is the editor-in-chief of Baltimore Magazine and a film and pop culture critic. We have Max Weiss. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So we were talking before we got started with this, <laughs> and I, I, I just want you to, just to talk about what you do, what your background is, just in a in a very, like high level like point of view, what have you, what your background looks like and what your work is with uh, Baltimore Magazine?
1: Yeah. So um, I actually didn't go to journalism school and didn't really even know that I wanted to be a journalist necessarily. I always knew I wanted to write. And I also love to sort of analyze things in college. I went to Bennington College, this little artsy um, liberal arts school in Vermont with 600 students. And I majored in literature, and music. I was a double major because mm-hmm. I played cello as well. And uh, then when I graduated school, we moved to Baltimore, my family. And um, I ended up getting a job at City Paper. Yeah. And so my first real job was City Paper used to have that mammoth calendar. Do you remember that thing? It would I do. go on for pages and pages and pages. Well, I basically put that thing together. Oh, wow. That was a bitch that was a lot of work <laughs> yeah. for you know a kid out of out of college um so i did that for a while and then at city paper they eventually hired me as a staff writer and i was doing i did film started doing film reviews i i i actually had always really wanted to do film review because it combined my love of analysis which is something that i really honed as a literature major you know like breaking down a text Sure. With my love for pop culture and film, which um, I've just always naturally had, and you know, when I was a kid, and this was before your time, but there was the show, Siskel and Ebert. Yeah, yeah. And it was these these two guys, you know, like sort of in in sweaters and and corduroys in an empty theater, <laughs> arguing back and forth about movies. And remarkably, this show was sort of a big hit, right? Yeah. And that was the famous th- two thumbs up. Um, and so it was through them that I kind of realized oh this could be like a job and and I would always imagine myself you know arguing who do I agree with and what point of view would I take so so I really fell in love with film criticism through that and also um, my parents had uh, New Yorker magazines in the house and the great Pauline Kael I was inspired by her writing just the liveliness of her voice so when I was at City Paper and the opportunity came up for me to do film criticism because the, the regular critic at the time couldn't make a screening, I jumped at the chance mm-hmm. and I did a good job with it. And they just kept giving me more and more. So that sort of became one of my major side gigs. Yeah. And then um, also at City Paper, I started doing a column. Now, this was the 90s, right? OK, so... Um, this was before really the internet or the internet was very nascent at the time. Sure. So it existed, but it was in its very early stages. And the the column that I did was called nice girl. And I always say that it was blogging before blogging. Basically, <laughs> it was just my diary. Essentially my life as a 20 something in Baltimore. Um, and so that was city paper for a while. And I loved working at city paper. And I'm actually really sad that city paper has now folded. Um, I think that it, an alternative newspaper is so important to the fabric of a city. I mean, sure. so, especially with the sun right now, like you open up the Baltimore sun and I have tons of for adver- admiration for a lot of the people who work there, but, um, a lot of it is from associated press and the tribune and it's not local reporting. Right. And so, you know, we really miss that truly locally based reporting anyway. So, Then I got a job at Baltimore Magazine. It was almost like I graduated from City Paper, which is like more of like that college kid kind of aesthetic to Baltimore Magazine, which was like the grown-up public. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. That's my tie. And um, it's, I really was a writer. I've always been a writer. But one thing, if you talk to somebody who's an editor, Mm. they always start out as a writer. All writers, all editors start as writers. And you know, if you want to kind of move up what they call the masthead of, of a publication, you sort of, you start as a writer, and then you become an associate editor, and then you become a senior editor, and then you become an, a managing editor, and finally now I've reached the top of the ah! mountain,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm,
1: <laughs> and I'm editor-in-chief, um, and yeah, so I've been at the magazine for almost 25 years. I know it's crazy. It's I've been there. I mean, half my life basically, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, I really love doing it and, um, you know, I'm really proud of the evolution of the magazine in the years that I've been been there and particularly in the years that I've been in charge. And I have this amazing staff, small staff, but just so talented that, you know, works with me. And, um, Yeah we create the the magazine that you see today. And, you know, it has really changed a lot. Like if you were to open up Baltimore Magazine 10 years ago, it was all what we call service journalism, mm-hmm. which is top this, top that, top gyms, top salons, top, yeah. you know, restaurants, uh, everything. We still do some of that, but we do a lot more uh, substantive journalism as well. Um, I mean, I like it all, right? Like yeah. I think the When I when I open up another city regional publication in a different city, I want to know about the lifestyle. I want to know about the restaurants. I want to know about the arts and the culture. And then I want to read, you know, long reads, pieces that you can really dive into and learn more about the fabric of the city. And so hopefully we have that good balance going at at Baltimore Magazine that we try to do
0: one of the few magazines I read uh, and <laughs> definitely it's one of those things I use to make it seem like I know what I'm talking about because um, when it comes to like specifically um, the, the, like the food, the food side of things, like the food journalism, they're saying, like, okay, I'm going to keep stay up to date on this. What's this new place? Oh, this issue came up huh? and people think I'm the person that knows like, Oh, you know where all the food places are. It's like, thanks to Baltimore magazine. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I cite my sources. <laughs>
1: The food scene is amazing in Baltimore and there's just so much that you can write about it because there's so much diversity in the food scene and it tells you so much about the culture and who we are as, as, as a people here in Baltimore. And it's grown in leaps and bounds, you know? I mean, it used to be that you like couldn't get a good bagel in Baltimore. You couldn't get a good loaf of bread. You couldn't get good, uh, you know sushi thai Good. food korean food now you there's just so much great food out there now absolutely um so so it's really fun for us to cover that scene and uh yeah i'm I, you know i hate the term but i do consider myself a foodie <laughs>
0: so I, i've seen a few posts i was like where'd you get that from <laughs> so <yeah. laughs> um, so putting on your 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 critic hat um yeah what are maybe two to three skills that you rely on the most as a critic? And, and I kind of, I think you, you touched on it a little bit, you jerked the curtain a little bit there when it came to uh, just the, the analysis side of it, you know, being a person yeah. that already is a writer and already has an interest in like breaking things apart, but uh, speak on that a bit.
1: Yeah. Um. I, the, the difficult thing about being a film critic is you're watching <laughs> the film extra closely, right? I mean, you have to, because you're going to be writing about it and telling other people about why they should or shouldn't watch it. Um, so that's sort of a close read of the film, if you mm-hmm. will. And you're taking all these different things into account, the, the, the direction and the, the cinematography and the acting and the everything. Um, but you also want the film to wash over you. Yes. Just the way you would if you were going in, not as a critic, but just as like some person off the street watching a movie. Um, so to me, the true art of, of film criticism is finding that balance where you could really appreciate the film. I always say on the terms that the film <laughs> is, is you know, putting out there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and, and And but then also you're able to have that extra level of, of analysis where you can write about it and think about it. And I've definitely had people say things to me about reviews like, uh, you know, why do you take it so seriously? Lighten up. Light-. It's like, well, that's my job. You know, you can go just lighten up and have fun, but my job <laughs> is to actually take this film seriously, you yeah. know? Um, but that being said, there were definitely some films that are just meant to be silly. And if a film is successfully silly, Mm-hmm. then it's a success, right? Yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to think of the name of the Will Ferrell movie that was on Netflix about the um, Eurovision song. Yeah. Yes. Yes, okay. So that's a really silly, outrageously silly film, but done so well. Yeah. And its its job is to make you laugh. Its job is to make you happy. It's intentionally silly. And it's successful at that. So it's really just a matter of like, is the film, doing what it set out to do, and is it doing well? And then the next thing I have to do is I have to sort of acknowledge my own biases, yeah. things that I'm um, personally drawn to or not personally drawn to. So sometimes I'll say, like, you know, I'm not really the biggest fan of, say, um, superhero movies, let's just mm. say. Sorry, Sorry stink eye. I see the stink eye here, but let's just, that's <laughs> sure. it's true. I mean, I'm a middle-aged woman. Give me a break here. Fair enough. Um, so, but But then sometimes I'll see one and I'll say, like, um, even if you think you're not going to like this kind of movie, Mm -hmm. you will. Or if you love this kind of movie, you're definitely going to love this. If you don't, you probably won't like it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or even if you love this kind of movie, you may not like this one because it's just bad. So I really do try to sort of also think in terms of the of the reader, um, you know, like. Definitely make it clear, like, yeah, this isn't really my bag, but if it is, you might like it. But even better is when I say I am not really a fan of, you know, like, let's just say I'm reviewing Get Out. Okay, I might say I don't really love horror film. It's certainly not my favorite genre. But even if you think you hate horror film, this is an important, Mm -hmm. amazing film that needs to be seen no matter what your taste in film is. So, you know, that's always when it's really fun when you can do that.
0: Yeah, I, I get that. And I think it's, it's certain like uh, uh, pieces of, of culture that you like it, it. I remember it was a specific it's music, but I remember a specific um, review. It was a guy that only reviews like metal and alternative rock. And they had him reviewing like a rap album. And I was like, he's not qualified, like, you know, sonically. Sure. But this is not his genre. So already it's baked in. And it's like, have that disclaimer that this is not my thing. And. I will say I, I I'm a I'm a data analyst by trade. So definitely, you know, that the analytical thing where you were speaking my language there. And sometimes when I'm watching like a movie and I find like I, I have this, all right, like contrarian kind of vibe to it. And it's like, let me get dip, Let me put that to the side, leave that outside of the theater, outside of my seat. But sometimes when I'm watching a movie and. If it's just, okay, that was not good. That was loose, like something like t- technically speaking. It's like, I'll, I have this term I like to throw around called loose CGI. And I'm just like, look, this, <laughs> this does not work. Cause I get a lot of flack of about, um in terms of like superhero movies for sake of argument, a lot of flack about like um Black Panther. And it's like, oh, well, you can't say that. And it's like, well, I am, and I'm gonna say it twice now. I, I didn't like elements of that third act. It doesn't make me kill the entire movie, but it's like right. I'll point out specifically what I don't like or what I think could have been, could have been different and what would have, would have been more effective. But going back to what you said, I, and I think that that's something that people really need to key in, on. key in on is what is the movie trying to accomplish? What is the movie set out to do? If this is just a ridiculous movie and it's a goofy movie and you're not into those, why go? because that's what the movie is attempting to be. So you're already not gonna like it or have these biases towards it.
1: But then sometimes for me as a critic, I consider myself a feminist and sometimes I'll see something in a film that I find sexist Mm -hmm. or perpetuating a negative female stereotype or even a negative male stereotype. So then the question becomes, what is my job as a critic I'll give you a perfect example. There's a film out right now called Nobody. Um, It stars Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. Now, on a certain primal level, this is a John Wick-esque film. I actually love John Wick, but not as good. But but similar in terms of, like, just a guy kicking butt. And if you're going to enjoy watching a guy kicking butt, especially Bob Odenkirk and sort of playing against type to a certain extent, and he's a great actor, but... When I watched this film, to me, it was sort of really leaning into toxic masculinity in a way that I found really troubling. Mm-hmm. So I certainly could have written a review where I was like, yeah, if you like kick-ass action films, this is, nobody is the film for you. Instead, I kind of broke down why the I found the film had toxic masculinity and why I think that that's something that people should be aware of cautious of, you know, it's a destructive force in the universe. And of course, inevitably, I got some brushback on the review. I got some people calling me a killjoy and stuff like that. But, you know, I kind of feel like um, there still aren't as many women. There are many more, but there are obviously, you know, three, four times as many men who are writing reviews right now. And I do think it's important for a woman to give that perspective. Although I would think a guy would also want to sort of resist against toxic masculinity, but it is just finding that balance sometimes because you don't want to be the scold. You don't want to be the person who's the killjoy, you you know? So I kind of made it clear in the review that this film is going to really appeal to teenage boys. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but you know, do better. You know, if you're not a teenage boy, do better.
0: Yeah. I mean, and if you, you go in there, like, I, I think I read a review about, about that somewhere, and it was like, yeah, in, in terms of tiers, John Wick is at a much higher level, and Atomic Blonde is at a higher level than this. This is is fine, and he didn't go too in-depth in it, but it was just like like, like, let's say a 30 second review kind of thing. It was like, yeah. we're going to be very brief here. It's like, not as good as these other two, like in the same like universe, like, kind of, but not as good as these other two. And I was yeah. like, fine, fine.
1: And and also that's a film that really would benefit from being seen in a the theater. You know I mean? I obviously I used to, I mean, as a film critic, I tend to see two, at least two films a week. Um, I used to see them in theaters. Yeah. And I really do miss going to a theater. And, um, and I also think about that as a critic, you think about that too, because sometimes critics go to these critic screenings, this mm-hmm. is pre, pre-pandemic. And it, so it's like a, a screening room with maybe seven or eight people watching a movie. And if you're seeing a comedy, yeah. it's not going to get that raucous reaction. And sometimes if you're in a theater with a whole lot of people laughing at a movie, It just seems funnier, you know. You just you you enjoy it more because you're having this communal experience. Um, So I always think about that too when I do a review. Like, would this film have benefited from from seeing it in a crowded theater? And if so, I should probably take that into consideration when I write the review. And certainly with with this nobody film, if you saw it in a theater, people would be going nuts and screaming and and whooping it up, and it probably would improve the experience but it still wouldn't make it any less toxically masculine
0: (laughs) no I dig it I dig it and I kind of noticed the same thing before we move off of this um with I'm a big wrestling fan I I like seeing sweaty men throw each other around it's fantastic uh and pretty much for the last year I've not been able to really stay um stay connected to to wwe just because of the the thunderdome and it's just stupid to me and it's just like have a bunch of screens with people on there and and they're skyped in i was like i don't need this and i think in it the for a brand that presents themselves being part of the universe and the universe is really important to them their fans are really important they 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 don't act like they are, so it's this weird balance. And the fans are integral to that experience, even in watching it on on television. It's like there's like fans come up with the goofy chants, doing their own thing. Sometimes throwing beach balls around, giving that energy to co- yeah. what could be a dead match. And then comparatively, I'll watch something um, for New Japan Wrestling. I, I think their product is better in terms of athleticism. There's no story, and I don't speak Japanese, but they have um, probably like 50% capacity there because Japanese people are wearing masks at these venues and they're able to stomp their feet with it. And it's just like an energy that's there. And it's like, oh, this is better. Like that, you know, worked punch looks a lot better when you hear, oh no, as opposed to muted people cheering on a screen. It looks odd as far as what WWE is putting out there.
1: Okay, just let let me ask you this. Sure. In terms of wrestling you obviously know it's fake yes so what is the appeal is it do you almost just view it as a fictional television show that you're just sort of watching a story play out the way you might on any sort of fictional uh show
0: yeah it's that it's it's um it's an appreciation of that athleticism like it's almost in some ways like a combination of multiple different sports you have and, and multiple different things. You have the uh, soap opera element with some gymnastics with someone's like a flippy guy. Do you have some of the the striking and, and things like that? And it's almost like watching like a choreographed fight scene in a movie or something. That's okay. what I get out of it. And yeah. I, and I've been watching it for a very long time. And I will say the experience of going to a live event it's just the energy there and that kind of community that's there. Like, we all know this. We all are looking at this like, all right, so your work better, so your moves better, you know, choreograph that better. But it Literally. definitely is that knowing that the outcomes and all are already predetermined and all of that stuff. But um, yeah, it's, you know, okay, it's, that, it's, that
1: sort of makes sense. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that.
0: So, what do you love most about what you do and why? What is that, that, that top tier number one thing for you?
1: Um, there's a bunch of things. I I mean, number one, Baltimore magazine, it's working with my colleagues, working with this talented team of writers, uh, designers, uh, photographers, just the entire uh, creative uh, side of the magazine that's inspiring, you know, to work in a creative environment. Um, and then, you know, a magazine is a cool thing. It's it's empty every month, right? Mm-hmm. Like, think about that. Yeah. It starts out, all those pages, there's nothing on them. And, you know, to sort of watch how it comes together every month uh, is constantly fascinating to me and a little scary, but in a good way, you know, because sure. it kind of gets that adrenaline pumping, Um and then again, you're talking about just a collaborative team coming together to make it happen, and people who are really passionate about what they do. And then you know, I'm just I'm really proud of the magazine. Um, I think we've done some really extraordinary work, uh, particularly in recent years. I mean, it sounds like I'm I'm you know blowing my own horn, but I'm really talking more about my my coworkers and 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 the writers. And um, I mean, it's been a weird year, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like so so. We did a pandemic issue, right? Which was sort of like the heroes of COVID. Yeah. Because we plan our, um, our calendar pretty much almost a year in advance because we're a monthly. Yeah. So not every single story, but certainly the cover stories are mapped out, mm-hmm. some of the features, the longer stories. And everybody was pivoting. And yeah. so we had to pivot. So we were like doing this COVID story, The heroes of covid and interviewing uh frontline workers and interviewing postal workers and amazon workers and scientists and this whole thing and then while we're working on that story the george floyd thing happens Mm -hmm. and we had a different story scheduled for the next month and we freaking pivoted again you know i mean we were like we can't not right about this. This is the biggest story of our day. So we did an issue called A Moment of Reckoning, where we talked to uh, Black leaders in the Baltimore community and artists and activists. And it was just really a lot of listening, yeah. basically. Um, and it had some beautiful photography. And when we put on an issue like that, or we did an issue on, on the queer community in Baltimore, um, I'm like... Yeah, you know, we're doing some really good yeah. stuff and this is not your father's Baltimore magazine. <laughs> this is this is a new a new thing which has all the elements of Baltimore magazine that you're looking for. So you're going to get your food coverage and your arts and culture coverage and your lifestyle coverage but also does these media stories. So um yeah, that's that's what I that's what I love.
0: That's great. That is great. So <sighs> This, this is, this one is, um, this one is an interesting one. Uh, aside from your work, what are some of your other creative interests and talents uh, or, or talents? Um, you mentioned cellos. So yeah. um, what, are, what are some of your other, including that, what are some of your other um, interests and talents? This question used to be, what's the weirdest talent you got, but I decided yeah. to change it a little bit to be, you know, less odd about it.
1: Um, yeah. The cello is really my, other main thing. You know, I was a music major, so I double majored. And I, I almost considered becoming a professional cellist. I'm not really, I'm like right at that level underneath where one could become a professional. Okay. I mean, if I was, it would be like a lot of sessions music and a lot of gigs where I'm just running around trying to, to make money. So um, I, I'm glad I didn't pursue it. But one thing that I continue to do is I continue to make music. I play chamber music, I play with the Hopkins symphony orchestra um, and I love playing cello. And what makes it so great for me is that it's a pursuit without words because so much of what I do in my job is words, you know, writing, reading, just writing and reading and writing and reading. Even when I'm watching films, it's just words (laughs) Um, and the cello you're, you're, it's like, I'm activating a different part of my brain. I'm activating a different side of my creativity. I'm not somebody who, um, meditates or does even does yoga, but when I'm playing cello, it's like, I'm in a different kind of zone almost. Um, and it's really, it's therapeutic for me to play cello. So I would say that's like my other, you know, number one habit, but, but my other, I wouldn't say it's a talent, but my other thing that I'm really into is I'm really into Twitter. Okay. So Anybody can follow me at Max, the girl. I've and seen a few you, posts. If you do follow me, you'll see that I, I tweet a lot. Um, I remember how I was saying like how I used to do this column and it was like blogging before blogging. Yeah. Well, once Twitter came along, I was sort of like, where has this been all my life? You know, like. <laughs> This place where I could put, I could say clever little things or put down my opinion about literally everything because I tend to have an opinion on everything. It's like, yes, you know, come to mama. So um, I do love Twitter, although any reasonable person also hates Twitter because Twitter can be a very destructive force in the environment. Um, Yes, it can, (laughs) and it also can be. There's people who tweet often make the joke never tweet because you can on Twitter one false tweet and it can blow up your entire life basically, yeah. you know? And so it's amazing that we all keep tweeting, knowing this, knowing that one joke that, you know, goes South yeah. and the next thing, you know, you're fired from your job and alienated from your family. And yet we all keep doing it. So, um, so, uh, yeah, but so I love, I love, uh, to tweet. And I also, am a huge sports sports fan, which, um,
0: I see the banner in the background.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's um, not not everybody would expect that about me, Um, uh, you know, because I am sort of this more kind of intellectual person in a way. But um, absolutely love basketball. My favorite sport is basketball. Um, I like both the NBA and college basketball. I love tennis. I I like football. I like baseball. But tennis and, and, and basketball are my two favorites. So I watch a lot of sports, too.
0: I dig it. I, ha- I had a really like interesting experience. Uh, I think the last time I actually traveled, uh, me and my partner went to Philadelphia and it was doing the Made, of an America- Made in America tour. So I think Jay-Z and some different rappers were there and it's just dirt bikes and all types of nonsense. And we'd gone there the year before. So she was like, where's that hotel that we stayed at that had the Rosé? So we just find a hotel with our luggage and stuff and just go to the top level and drink Rosé and watch tennis. And I was like, this is great. Wow! That's Rack, awesome. screw that. Let's just get some froze. It was froze actually, and uh let's let's, let's watch <laughs> tennis. That's what we did. It was great.
1: <laughs> froze, I said, that's. I feel like Frosé is already out. It was like it uh, had its moment. There it was just a year when you could not escape Frosé. Mm-hmm. Now I feel like if you go to a bar and you order a Frosé, they're going to be like, "No, we don't have that machine anymore." We don't
0: have Passé. <laughs> it's like, huh, <laughs> come on. Rosé is passé. I I I love that. It. it was great. Um, <laughs> it is pretty tasty. So, um, as far as like people and I have some like Baltimore-related questions. So, as far as like um, people, like filmmakers specifically or writers, what have you, trying to capture Baltimore in a like fictional sort of way, where do you think they excel and where do you think they fall short?
1: I mean you know the problem unfortunately with baltimore is that it's not that something like the wire is not an accurate depiction although we now kind of realize that maybe he was a little too easy on the police department
0: yeah, well. <laughs> in
1: retrospect but but you know a lot of what the wire depicts um is is accurate and it's important and you can't turn away from it. And this is something that we struggle with a lot of the magazine. Like you want to acknowledge the reality of Baltimore, the ills of Baltimore, Mm -hmm. but there's so much great stuff Mm -hmm. happening in Baltimore. And it's, it's this constant, it's sort of like this delicate balance where you want to celebrate what's great about Baltimore and, and lift up Baltimore without burying your head in the sand about what's, bad about baltimore so i feel like most films about baltimore are mostly dealing with crime and murder Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and you know that's disappointing i just wish there were more you know baltimore rom-coms and things like that um it doesn't all have to be about crime and drugs and rats and murder but at the same time that stuff is in baltimore as well you know
0: You'll, you'll, and the other thing
1: I would say is that anybody who is not from Baltimore cannot do a Baltimore accent. Thank don't you.
0: Pop, right? Thank you. Thank you.
1: There's nothing worse than somebody attempting to do a Baltimore accent. It sounds terrible.
0: I, I wanted to say this because I thought it was funny based on the conversation thus far. So that that uh, that that series, um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, they were in Baltimore for <laughs> the second episode, and they were at Central Booking. I was like, what is happening? I was like, you just couldn't resist. You just see, like, I was like, is that a is that a police car?
1: I was like, what the hell is this? I know it's a bummer. I mean, it's a really a bummer that we are sort of synonymous with you know urban blight. Yeah. When when you know you and I we're people who live in Baltimore and we see how vibrant. the city is, um, you know, what an amazing arts community there is, what an amazing activist community there is and food and all of that. Um, but at the same time, yeah, there's a lot of problems, you know, there's just a huge issue with, um, sort of, you know, the, the, the the L, you know, the white L that they talk about in Baltimore and, uh, you know, yeah. So, but that's, I guess my biggest wish is that, Films about Baltimore captured more of the totality of Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, you know, I love John Waters. John Waters is, you know, I love his movies. And any journalist in Baltimore, if you want, you will have interviewed John Waters because he makes himself unbelievably accessible. In fact, you probably could have him on this podcast. Um, Noted. (laughs) He is incredible that way. And he is the greatest interview you will ever have because he is such a raconteur he is such a tech storyteller he is so witty he is so quick he has so many like bombos one-liners that he's just tossing out <laughs> so i absolutely love john waters but you know he's kind of doesn't really make movies anymore so that's 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 that he's moved to you know art and books and and his sort of stand-up stuff that he does barry Levinton was also a great filmmaker. And if, if, if some of the, your younger listeners haven't seen Diner, mm-hmm. it's absolutely amazing. I mean, you really should see it again. It might be problematic because I haven't seen it in 20 years, but I don't think it is. But regardless, it's a really, really great movie. And they say that Diner was responsible for like a lot of TV shows that have come along since, like mm-hmm. shows like Friends and Seinfeld, the sort of hangout shows, yeah. because that's what Diner was. It was just like guys in Baltimore hanging out at the <laughs> diner. And it's so perfectly captured what it's like when when guys are just hanging out and shooting the how much if I can say the S word on the <laughs> podcast, but shooting the breeze. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, but. I digress, but but you should definitely watch
0: Diner. No, nah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I, I have this weird bias because uh, anything that is like that that have come out before me, it's like right, before I was born, I was like, this is going to be hard, but I'm going to watch it based on a recommendation. It's the what is it? Uh, the, my, uh, my partner calls it the white rabbit. She's like, you got to go down a rabbit hole. Someone recommends something. You got to do it. And it always turns out well.
1: It's real. I'm just digesting the fact that you were born after Diner came out. Just let me, let me process that. It was 82. I was
0: born in 85. I don't know what to tell you.
1: When did it come? When did the movie come out?
0: 1982.
1: Okay. All right. That's, that's okay. It's it's within the
0: scope. (laughs) It's when I got to do a Rocky review soon. So I'm like 45 years. I got that in my head. So yeah.
1: Wow. That's wild. Yeah. Okay.
0: I got a few more questions. Um, So real quick, uh, In an interest in paying it forward, what would you say the best piece of advice you've received that you'd want to share with the audience or the listeners? Um...
1: Um, let me think in terms of advice <laughs> I, I once got advice that i love i don't really know if it's great advice and that was mumble with authority and the idea <laughs> that's good right yes. um that's my my uncle's good friend marty goldenson who was a, a fairly famous uh, radio personality he was the one who told me that and i love that um but um you know the the other advice that i would give particularly if you're interested in journalism is everybody loves telling their story? This is something that you that you're learning. So if you just sit somebody down and start telling them, asking them about their life, and you really listen, and you're really engaged and curious, you know, just be curious about about everything. Um, you're going to learn so much. I mean, I'm a talker; like I love to talk, as you probably noted. But <laughs> sometimes there's such a beauty. In really just listening and let somebody else do the talking. So I I would say that, you know, be be curious about the world around you would be my other my other good advice. That's
0: that's the thing that um, people have mentioned in terms of like this particular podcast that. Uh, cause the other podcast I'm doing, is very me just running my lips. And yeah, yeah. the other ones, it's just like, I'm asking questions and I'm sitting there earnestly like, tell me more, feed me more. I want to hear more about you. It's like, I'm putting together a dossier and, uh, what's that password again, social security. And, um, yeah. but it is, it's very interesting to sit there and kind of learn more about the guests I've had on. And it's, it's, it's been great. So the
1: most interesting people are the ones who are curious about other people. Like, You may think you're more interesting if you're the one who's always holding court. No, in my life, the people who are most interesting are the ones who are sort of open hearted, open-minded, like to listen, like to learn. Those are the cool people, you know?
0: That's great to hear. I have one last question, then opportunity to shamelessly plug anything you'd like to plug. Uh, So you, you touched on John Waters earlier and Barry Levinson this, this is, I I put this one in there specifically because I have you on it, on the podcast. Um, who would you say, uh, who or what are some of the pop culture representatives of Baltimore? I replaced the question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, I mean, obviously John and Barry do come, come up right away. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, who are you thinking of?
0: I, I got nothing. Like what I, what I generally run into, I used to ask this question a lot because uh, specifically on like the, the, the black level, it's like, who is the, the black representative for, so, for pop culture? And people could say maybe a rapper here or there, but I was like, it's not or really. like
1: Monique is from Baltimore. Yeah, or, you or know. Hello, Anthony is from Baltimore, the basketball player. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's like, um, in terms of, like the, the breakout pop culture yes. success, you know, we, there's, there's nobody who really like immediately comes to mind, unfortunately. It's the same. <laughs> there are some great, Filmmakers from Baltimore that I would know as somebody who really follows. There's a guy named Matt Porterfield who I absolutely love. There's a guy named Theo Anthony who's absolutely amazing. He's going to blow up. But they're certainly not household names. Edward Norton is, is a great actor, but he sort of stopped acting, unfortunately. Josh Charles is another yeah. one. Um, but, man, it's... Uh, yes,
0: it's a, it's a rough it's Ted one.
1: Ted Davis, but he's, you know... it. it <laughs> he's under investigation right now for a possible alleged hit and run. So he's not somebody we want to be holding up. So, yeah, Um, I I, I don't I don't really have the answer.
0: I turned
1: that question back on you. I was like. (laughs) <laughs> Who do you think is the
0: great, uh, I mean, if I was feeling like a, like I had a huge ego, I was like <laughs> me, of course, but I, my ego is just so minuscule these days. So nah, but, uh, yeah, I think that that's the thing. And I think it's, it, it's, it's important that, um, it, I think a lot of people, Leave. I think that's what what part of that issue is. And this is true. It, it's like being an analyst or doing that critical thinking exercise. You do the five whys, and it's like, why are people leaving? Well, this reason. Why is it that reason? And so on until we get to the root of it. And, it, you know, especially with some of the people I've interviewed, different artists and so on, it's like, well, I could do better here, or I could do better here, what have you. I'll always come back. But You know they usually don't, and 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 that's the thing for me when it comes to the the pop culture thing. Because I reached out to a guy, I wanted to get this custom fitted cap, and he's like, in terms of iconography what's baltimore and i was like i am not putting a crab on a fitted cap and he had these really cool new york hats and had all of these different pieces of iconography and pop culture uh uh, uh uh representations and i was like we don't really have anything it's already going to be an orioles hat but what can i put on there that's synonymous with baltimore that really gets us over that looks cool and i always run into that especially being here as long as i have it's like what's the thing why aren't we popping
1: No, but you're right. Like I was thinking about like people who have left, like you take somebody like TT, the artist, right? Like just when she was starting to sort of blow up in Baltimore, Mm -hmm. she moves to the West coast, you know, and she, she made a a great movie about club uh, music in Baltimore. Um, There used to be a band animal collective and they moved to Brooklyn and it kind of bums me out. Right. Like you see them as like being described as a Brooklyn band and it's like, no, they're from Baltimore. (laughs) On the other hand, Beach House moved to Baltimore from yes, the it West did. Coast. Yes, we'll they like did. That about but, yeah, it, it, is, it is depressing when our best and brightest move on to, you know, uh, the, the coasts, uh, because so much is happening here in Baltimore. I always, you know, I grew up in New York, actually, um, and the one thing I love about Baltimore is that you can really do it here. Like anything you want to do, you can do it here. If you want to put on a play, you can put on a play. If you want to, you know, go to a poetry slam and read a poetry, you read a poem, you can do that. And it's accessible in a way. And you can make a name for yourself here in Baltimore, which I absolutely love. But um, sometimes if you want to move beyond Baltimore, why would you want to do that? But if you do, you, you tend to leave Baltimore and that kind of bums me out, yeah.
0: So, same, and I, I'm glad we were able to have that in there, and it's uh, maybe something for for people to kind of grow on and really consider. So, yeah. thank you. Um, pl- please shamelessly plug. Uh, Where can they find you? Plug the social media. Plug uh, Baltimore Magazine. All the good stuff. I mean, okay. just be ridiculous. Um- about it.
1: I feel like I have already, but I will say, okay, baltimoremagazine.com is, is the uh, magazine's website. Um, tons of new content all the time, including my movie reviews are there. But better still, subscribe to the magazine. It's so cheap to subscribe. It costs like 12 bucks. Like each individual issue is $5.99. But <laughs> you can get 12 issues for 12 bucks. So think about that. It really, if you pick up the magazine twice a year, Go ahead and subscribe. Um, it's nice to have the, the the object of the magazine in your hands, but be sure to check out baltimoremagazine.com. And then, um, yeah, you can check me out on social media on Twitter. I'm at Max the Girl. I'm also on Instagram, but I'm not as active on Instagram. But I play my little cello, my little <laughs> ditties on the cello there. Um, and then I'm I'm a um, I'm on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm I'm a you know approved. Uh, critic on Rotten Tomatoes and you can see all my film reviews there as well um and I think that's about it
0: <laughs> so thank you thank you Max this has been fantastic a true treat for me so uh for Max Weiss I am Rob Lee and there's art in and around Baltimore you just got to look for it